0: Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at apomada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much.
1: Good morning, good day. It's good to be together here in the Zendo and also with all of you. Thank you for gathering. I wanted to share with you a book that I've been um, dipping into lately, um, The Shabonic Bones of Zen by Zenju Earthland Manuel. And I was fortunate to get to spend a little bit of time with her at Upaya before the pandemic and um, she has um, a wonderful presence about her. And um, surprisingly to me, she speaks with a little bit of a Southern accent. I think she grew up in Alabama and um, we were actually in a poetry workshop and she's a fabulous poet. And this book therefore is beautifully written. I'm going to be dipping into many little parts to string together something that I hope is coherent from her beautiful book. Um, And so um, I won't be reading page numbers, so you can't really follow along, Um, but let's um, head out. So in some ways, um, I thought this book would be um, about um, the ancestral spirit and mystical heart of a sacred tradition, like it would reveal secrets that haven't been yet revealed to me. And that isn't the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is really um, offering her own personal experience of Zen study. She's um, um, an ordained priest and author and um, teacher, Um, but it's more to offer a slightly different lens to experience practice, than um, maybe we've encountered before or to affirm a knowing that, you know, you or I might've had it in moments of practice. And she really affirms and kind of opens that up. So here we go. So this is um, um, Zenju writing. I enter the Zendo without a sound. I sit in my designated chair. The cold of winter causes me to wrap my light wool robe tighter around my body the bells are ringing and drums are playing i bow when the head teacher passes she writes i was drawn to soto zen buddhist practice because of the ancient rituals ceremonies and silence it felt familiar familiar the incense burning, the bowing, the quiet, the chanting, the black, the firelit candles, a feeling of floating in darkness. I found a Zen of the earth, deep in the muck of human conditions, including racism, sexism, and homophobia. And yet she doesn't let that dissuade her which is so beautiful and inspiring. A little bit later, she says, many have asked the reason I was drawn to Zen. When I reflect on the question here, I look back and see myself dressed in clothes meant to enhance the sitting practice, robes and loose Japanese style pants and tops. I sensed relief from the world without the clothes of the world. My shaved head felt natural. I felt a part of the many African women I have seen who keep their heads shaved. Walking without shoes had been my favorite thing to do since childhood, so walking in the temple without shoes felt natural. As a child, I was an early sitter. I liked to sit or swing in the backyard, doing what my mother called daydreaming. She was constantly calling me back to earth. The Zen poetry of joy and sorrow was like my own poetry that I had been writing since the age of eight, trying to sort out life as a black girl child. In essence, Zen practice immediately felt like me. It was not Zen practice as it was and is being talked about by Zen teachers or written about in books. It was not the dogma, the promises of ordination, or the rules of Zen community that drew me in. Despite the practitioners of Western Zen Buddhism being overwhelmingly white and predominantly male at the time of my entrance into the gateway, I experienced an unexplainable peace and transformation with the rituals and ceremonies. When I first entered the zendo at Tassahara Zen Center in the Los Padres Forest, I said to myself, I've been here before. It wasn't the center as much as it was the feeling of being next to the mountains and spending time under the stars at night, coming to chant and bow, I knew this life, this living close to the earth. I felt myself on the way back as I walked the old dirt roads in the forest. I felt quite separate at times from the others for some obvious reasons, but also for reasons not so obvious. The separation served me. I was constantly having a shamanic experience of the land, the rituals and the ceremonies coming up through my bones. Zazen sitting in silence was the portal I experienced meditation often talked about as a sitting practice as a seeing practice. What was taught as Zen forms was experienced as connecting with the unseen world through the body. And then she writes some about how. Western Zen Buddhism, the tradition that we're practicing in, um, you know, came through um, human beings. And um, she argues um, that it was shaped somewhat by their values. Um, And so she quotes from um, Sam Van Shake, um, his scholarly book, Buddhist magic, divination, healing, and enchantment through the ages. Um, Sam Van Vanshake writes, despite the importance of magical practices in Buddhism, they are still one of the least studied aspects of the religion. I suspect that one of the main reasons for this is the idealized image of Buddhism as a rational religion, essentially free from superstition and ritual. The exclusion of magical practices and powers from most discussions of Buddhism in the modern era can be seen as appropriation of Buddhism by Europeans and Americans, and also as a result of modernization movements in Asia and within Asian Buddhism. She writes, there was a strategy employed by scholars to shield the Zen tradition from charges leveled against Buddhism as a whole in the late 19th and early 20th century that it was a superstitious religion mired in as she writes mumbo jumbo and that it was antithetical to a scientific worldview and the advance of modern civilization. And so she's inviting us to go beyond that those decisions that were made to think of um, Western Zen as a very um, logical practice, not that that isn't also true, um, but she's inviting in some things that she feels like were lost in the translation. So she goes on, in indigenous spiritual practices, including the Buddhist ones that have remained close to the earth, some of which she writes about in other parts of the book. She travels widely at one point. The rituals and ceremonies are meant to draw the ancestors close, to support the prayers and to guide those who are suffering toward wellness Unlike many ceremonies of other Buddhist schools, in Zen, the task of turning toward wellness or transformation is not a stated intention or necessarily a goal of rituals or ceremonies. With the lack of such explicit intentions, the significance of Zen forms, rituals, and ceremonies might feel lost and can make them seem routine, habitual, and hollow. I have witnessed the boredom and even the suffering some Zen students go through in making offerings and participating in ceremonies. Many do not have the patience with the slow and invisible effects of these activities on one's life. To see the impact of shamanic or awakening experiences through ritual and ceremony on our personal and collective lives can take decades. So we know this practice, It's not a microwave, right? It's slow. Then she asks, are we ready to expand our walk on the Buddha way? Is it time to loosen the dogma and embrace the forms as the bones of Zen from its Eastern origin? And so what interested me was that I remember when I first came to Zen, um, resistance, and sometimes when I meet with students, resistance to various aspects of the form, bowing, Incense, you know, why all this old fashioned weird stuff? And she really makes a beautiful um, argument, I think, for how, um, in her words, our bones um, know these um, sort of ancient archaic ways of doing things and being. And so she's really focusing on that aspect. And so she, in the book, speaks about chanting and ceremonies and other things, but I'm going to focus on zazen since that's what we did this morning. And that is um, the most central part of our practice. So she writes, zazen is the core of Zen practice. Za means sitting and Zen means meditation. The word Zen has come to have many meanings in various contexts, but in the context of this book, it is the practice of seated meditation without being guided. There is no goal in mind or effort to improve one's personality, sadly. <laughs> Shunru Suzuki Roshi said, quote, Zazen practice is the direct experience of our true nature. Dainan Katagiri Roshi said, quote, Zazen is the right gate for entering the Buddha Dharma but the Buddha Dharma is actually human life. In the view of these renowned Zen teachers, the conventional thinking in regard to Zen and Zazen is far beyond what anyone can imagine. Zazen is different from secular meditation, which generally means using meditation as a calming technique or method to remain present in the moment. As with Zazen, secular meditation often uses the breath as a focal point, but there generally is no transformation of how one perceives the world or their life. Usually there is an intention to leave religious teachings out of secular meditation. There is no seeking God, as in some religious traditions, or discovering the nature of life, as in Zen meditation. Zazen is not meant to calm one's nerves. Although that may be a result of the awareness Zazen can bring over time. It is more than a religious activity, as it might appear, it is more than a practice, even though we call it that. Zazen is a prolonged ritual of seeing and listening. I'm going to read that again zazen is a prolonged ritual of seeing and listening it is a shamanic process and a way of life eventually in zazen you become the meditation as it arises in you with each breath it is no longer something you do or something on the to-do list Since Zazen can potentially transform you at the core of your life, it is meant for the rare individual who is willing to enter meditation as ritual, deepening the understanding of life and death. Zazen is more aligned with the ancient meditations of indigenous medicine people of where those in training leave to sit still upon the earth in silence over an extended period of time. They take many trips to the mountains, so to speak. Similarly, Zazen is a slow walk in the wilderness, step by step, bell after bell, chant after chant, breath after breath, over many years, and without effort, one may reach a vast field of illumination. And then skipping ahead a little bit. She writes, Zazen is central to experiencing the awakened consciousness that existed prior to us taking a seat in the wild. Like Buddha, we sit on the earth and allow the seeds of awakening to sprout in our lives. A seeing practice such as Zazen is the only method to gather such seeds and plant them in every activity of our lives. Zazen begins and continues with sitting, but over time we come to find it is not confined to sitting. Everything in Zen practice is done through the state of consciousness brought by Zazen. In rituals and ceremonies, there is Zazen. This is an altered consciousness in the sense that anything that takes your mind and heart from the chaos of the world and centers it on the breath and the earth is an altered consciousness, a transformed heart and mind. And then finally, a closing bit before we come into small groups and consider a question. She quotes from an essay by Issa Guciardi, a teacher and practitioner of shamanism. And the essay is called The Journey, Buddhism and Shamanism at the Crossroads. And Issa writes, meditation and the shamanic journey are processes that take place in the altered state. The altered state help seekers connect with their inner peace in a broader way we spend most of our time in the vigilant problem solving state of consciousness of the conscious mind. In Buddhism, the goal of working with the altered state is similar to the goal of working with the altered state in shamanism to move beyond the confines of the conscious mind. And thereby receive information or insight that cannot be accessed in working with the conscious mind alone. And then Zenju writes towards conclusion of our talk anyway, our conscious mind has limitations. When we make efforts to transform our suffering, we become aware of these limitations. For this reason, we might find ourselves entering a path of meditation to deal with pain and suffering, including physical and spiritual illness. A practitioner of Zen, like the shaman, is devoted to attending to illnesses. And in turn, the healing affects the collective family, community, and so forth. Both shamanism and Buddhism work at the root of illness by shifting awareness inward to access other states of consciousness. Accessing these states without effort is where Buddhism and shamanic traditions meet. Zazen shares certain elements of shamanism, self-realization, enhanced dreams, heightened intuition, deep concentration, a strengthened relationship with the wisdom of nature, speaking to ancestors in ceremony, living a life of spiritual inquiry into the unseen. In Zen and shamanism, you put aside conceptualization and intellectual understanding to return to a vast state of consciousness, the open field, of your life. Thank you, Zenju Earthland Manuel, for this spacious perspective on our practice, which is so familiar. And so in a moment, we'll um, come into small groups and I invite you to consider spending a moment to connect with and recall or be curious about your experiences of zen buddhist practice as embodied connecting with ancestors ceremonial and or related to the natural world um and I think the goal of this conversation isn't so much to elevate um, unusual or um, um, special experiences. Um, I don't feel like I've had many of those and I'm okay with that. Um, it's more to connect with, um, I was thinking about when Anne invited us to walk outdoors in the garden um, this morning that um, how wonderful it is that um, life is attending, it's happening around us, you know, cars are going by and there's, for some reason, a whole bunch of um, uh, woodpeckers. There were like three woodpeckers pecking away and it's sunny and windy. And um, I felt like we could smell some weed coming from someone's house, you know? Um, And yet we're in this upright posture with our hands, you know, by our bellies, Walking that's the shamanic part is this ability to bring a state of embodied being um, in this case into the world, but it needn't be um, that's just kind of a different way of being that um, I think of when I've gone to other kinds of spiritual um centers, um, Christian in particular, um, there isn't that. There isn't um, silence, inwardness, kind of a non-conscious way of being, um, non-logical, physical. Um, That really isn't, I haven't noticed that being um, valuable. And so I think um, Zendu is really shining a light on the aspects of our practice that are um ancient and in that um shamanic as she says and she defines that as um connected to nature and also healing and i was thinking of our bodhisattva vow which i never had thought about as um, dedicated to healing of course that is exactly what it is um and then of course the presence of incense and flowers and water and in our case this enormous stone from switzerland on the altar um, is a way of bringing nature indoors um, that again isn't typical of our regular life so we're just shining a little light on our practice and perhaps it will open up something for you um, and it's also okay if you're like, I don't identify with that. So um, I appreciated I appreciate Zenju's viewpoint and her call to um, really ground our practice in the actual ground, um, especially in the face of climate crisis. And for myself, um, I'm really dwelling in a place of mystery and not knowing, with um, you know, death and my family being so present. And so I really admired how she called us to a place outside of logic, um, not that logic in and of itself is a bad thing, it's just shining a light on a different part. So um, uh, let's go ahead and break into small groups and we'll, it's 10.30, so let's, um, let's be in those two person groups for about 12 minutes and um, take a moment to just sit in silence And then each of you can share for um, three or four minutes, and then uh, you'll have a couple of minutes to, um, you know, dialogue back and forth, um, remembering that everything is optional and um, also confidential. And we'll come back together as a whole and um, maybe share whatever we've um, learned or gleaned from this. Thank you. So i'm curious to hear from folks uh, sort of what, if anything moved in you. um, What memories you had or insights or things you'd like to share from your small group conversations and from the reading of the shamanic bones of Zen. Anne.
2: It made me think of when you were reading and the whole title, The Shamanic Bones of Zen and her um, bringing in the association with a landscape, a physical place, a physical environment about Taoism and how that was the first thing I remember about thinking about Zen and meditation was being in elementary school and reading about Taoism and Zen and Taoism particularly that the there are spirits and there are um maybe not spirits is not quite the right word. There is a spirit there is something about particular places. is to be reverenced, is to be uh, recognized and appreciated. So I really love that, uh, this take on our practice.
1: Yeah, the connection to the natural world. And it's a knowability, at least from a human perspective, or at least from my perspective. <laughs> Gabriela.
3: So much, so much to say. (laughs) Um, The first thing that comes up for Mm -hmm. me is uh, diversity. Like the importance to listen to all the voices um, and all the cultures, all the wisdom. I'm really grateful that you Shared with us this uh, precious wisdom from this precious woman, um, and yeah, it's like coming back to the origins of uh, as as you were saying, coming back to connection with ourselves, with our body, and with with the world we are part of, uh, the mother nature. Uh, and you know all our family in the nature and uh, and it's just beautiful it just brings a, a new vision and at the same time it's not new but uh, you know this connection with our body and how this is like our dance yeah like many many groups uh, get together and dance and sing and you know that's their ceremony and their outer state and coming together and seeing And I'm thinking this is our dance, uh, you know, our silence and our posture is our dance together.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah, so much to say. Uh, thank you so much. Thank
1: you. Speaking of nature,
4: yes, Uh, I I was. I got to be in a a breakout room with Glenn Coleman, who is very connected with nature, and uh, he asked if I chose this background picture for shamanic purposes. Uh, and I said, <laughs> I said no, it, it's just a flower I like. Uh, but but I know that people have foolishly experimented with Datura in the past. And it, it's a terrible, poisonous plant. You should not. It, and yes, it will cause hallucinations on your way to intense pain and suffering. You don't want that. So uh, I, I'm not, I, 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 I've just read that. I don't have any personal experience, but I, I just want to say that all that stuff. But you used a word, Rob unknowability. And to me, this is what is most important in a seeing practice that you know, I've read and it's really made a big impression on me that if you try and figure out what life is, it's happening at a molecular level, not even a cellular level, a molecular level within cells. And that, um, there that is it is un, it is unknowable and yet it is so grand, so immense, so powerful, that you know one can only be in awe. And I, I only have I was I, I said to Glenn, we were trying to talk about how how how, how we experienced connections to mystery and that that my I would say that my only real, really important experiences with mysterious connection have been when I've been able to stop looking with hungry, with hungriness, where I'm shaping what I'm looking at, because I want to get to the next thing, you know, sometimes it happens that I'm able to not do that, and that that is the most powerful experience of Awe and unknowability at the same time, Uh, and I I, I don't think that that's what exactly it's not everything that that Earthland Manuel is talking about, but to me, it's a lot of it anyway. And um, Anyway, thank you so much for reading this and for, for, for bringing this forward.
1: Anyone in the Zendo want to add? Nelda. Good morning. I'll keep it
5: brief, but something just came to mind that I hadn't thought of in a while. Um, I went to visit Machu Picchu in Peru once, and I've had similar experiences, but not one that was this uh, resonant. And we were there for a week on a number of hikes and had a guide and there was a point at which we were walking, and there were different groups walking past us in the same direction. And at some point, I just stopped because the energetic flow from that particular spot was so intense, it, it made me catch my breath. And so I grabbed the guide and I said, is there anything different about this place? What is this place? And he said, how did you know? I said, I, I, I didn't. I just felt it. And it turns out that we, he said, turn to the right. There was this huge stone, this huge stone. He said, here's where they would sacrifice people to Mother Earth. And that made such an impression on me because this is not about me. The the story's not about me. It's about how everything around us speaks to us energetically if we will only be Um, if we'll only listen, and it's hard for us to listen because we're like those old TV sets with the rabbit ears, and sometimes we don't have our rabbit ears quite straight, but if we'll work at adjusting them and fine-tuning them, it speaks to us, and so I'm thankful. Thank you so much for sharing this book and this talk with us, and I'm going to uh, not reach for it, but just straighten my rabbit ears a little more. Rosemarie
0: Hi uh thank you so much Robin um just for me starting this practice um and use the word reverence for nature and you know just um realizing that I'm that it's the earth holding me not I'm standing on the floor um just it's just um you know really I'm not taking for granted the sky the sun, the moon, it's just huge for me. That was just a a big change in my practice is that connection and appreciation rather than taking taking it all for granted.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Rosemarie.
0: Marla. Just really quickly. um, I've been an urban dweller for decades. And don't have an opportunity on a daily basis, or even a weekly or monthly basis basis to actually have my feet on the ground much pavement, you know buildings (laughs) so and so. I even live now in, in Minnesota, where it's designed with the skyways between the buildings so that you never have to go outside in the winter. And that even that magnifies this effect. So what I'm now inspired to do and I and I've always been really crazy about my house plants. you know, I just want to embrace them because they're life. And I'm going to find a way to bring into my living space um, more of the outdoors, uh, not too many plants, but <laughs> Rocks like the rock that's on the altar there at Apamada, and uh, this is really inspirational to me. I can I can alter my environment to honor the earth without actually having to have my feet on the ground. There's nothing really that I'm going to be able to do much about that. Um, but this it has inspired me to to make it more intellectual and and rational while it's irrational, if that makes any sense. That's
1: mm. all. And um, maybe our last person will be um, Serenity.
6: Morning. Thank you so much for this. Um, for me, my life has been has turned into this this living outdoors more than I am inside because I am doing van life. you know, right now I'm sitting outside next to my van in the desert um appreciating the beauty and the birds going by and yes there are other people that are you know uh nearby but it is a way for me to connect with my inner landscape on a regular basis and i even sit for meditation outside when i can um you know weather permitting and it's it's just a beautiful way of experiencing sort of the cyclical rhythms of the world and not be caught up in my logical part of my brain that wants everything linear and you know caught logical is to me is a lot of cause and effect and this is uh, a more global vision of something circular where you're a part of the cycle and it's not necessarily a cause and effect kind of thing kind of relationship Thank you.
1: Mm. Thank you, Serenity, and thank you also for sharing that beautiful blue Arizona sky. Thank you everyone for your presence and for what you offered. And thank you for letting me share with you a little bit of the shamanic bones of Zen.